All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio, episode 25 about to drop, and it's going to be an amazing night. Can't wait to get this one underway, so y'all stay tuned. All right, everybody, thanks for coming back and being with us again tonight. I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Nick, what's going on, brother? Good to have you back here with me, buddy. Not much, man. It's, it's going to be a good night on, on this one. I know. It really is, and I am pumped up like a basketball for it. I cannot wait to get it underway. Cody, you doing okay? Hey, I know you're excited. I really I'm am. Excited. I, I am, I am I pumped seen, up. I ain't for seen this you one. like this in a long time, buddy. <laughs> I am really pumped up to get this one underway. And without further ado, I'm going to go right into it. And for everybody out there listening, I want you to just take a moment and I want to paint a picture for you as you sit there and listen. So take yourself a break and imagine in the, you're in the year 1979. The frost has laid a euphoric scene as the sun is cresting the horizon. A beautiful sight to behold in itself and enters one of the most glorious animals to ever grace the eyes of man, a white-tailed buck. In this moment, Mr. Don Higgins squeezed the trigger of his grandfather's Remington 12-gauge shotgun, and as the life of that majestic nine-pointer was passed, it was forever cemented in his heart by the great creator of all, and the Lord ignited an unwavering passion for the animal that lay before him. Mr. Don Higgins, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Wow, what an introduction. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm honored. Yes, sir. Well, it's our, definitely our honor and privilege, you know, going back through uh, some magazines I found in my dad's basement. Um, he's moving, and I was going through some of his old stuff and found uh, uh, some whitetail magazines from years past, and I'd read those magazines probably for the last 25 years, and I had read a lot of stories, and, and as I told you on the phone the other day, I didn't really realize that I was reading, you know, stories from a man that I was going to be talking to on the phone. You know, I'm 34 year old now, and to get to read and, and those stories as a kid and, and imagine myself in those scenes and then to get to talk to you on the phone, it was definitely an honor and a privilege, and it is so tonight to be here with you. Well, thank you, Alex. I mean, <laughs> this is what I live for. That uh, scene you described there in the opening, uh, when I walked up on that nine-point buck as a 16-year-old kid, uh, my whole world changed. God lit a fire in my heart for whitetails. It just grows hotter with each passing season. So, uh, man, I'm honored that uh, you young guys look up to me. Well, and it's 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 more about looking up to a figure that's you don't really paint yourself in in the public light and promote yourself as as a hunter you you promote yourself more as a conservationist of the game and your studying of the the whitetail population in the midwest and throughout the united states and what you've done for the conservation side will will never be touched by anyone else as far as i'm concerned and it's been something that's really done my generation a, a lot of good by getting us out there and being able to still chase these games some you know 40 years later after you taking that buck. So that's, that's definitely a, a owes you a debt of gratitude for that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you. You recognizing that, uh, you know, I'm a little different than most, uh, uh, deer hunters in the public eye. And, uh, you know, I, I give appreciation to the Lord and credit to him for all the blessings that come my way. And I've tried to be a good steward of the resource and, and that's what I preach. And, um, you know, I've never been in it for the fame or the glory. It's just, uh, if I had, uh, you know, my dream day is just to be out in the woods by myself chasing big deer. 
Now, when did you start, um, I, I guess at 16, you, you really got into the hunting side. When did you really get into the, to the side of it with the uh, conservation efforts, with the food plots and the real-world wildlife products? When did that really get started for you? Um, well, it, it's a long story. I mean, I, I've always dreamed of making my living somehow through deer hunting. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought way back at the beginning, uh, I wanted to be an outdoor writer. And I thought you to be an outdoor writer, you had to be an expert at what you was writing about. So I, I strive to be the best deer hunter that I possibly could. And, you know, along the way, God opened different doors. And, and when he did, I just, I didn't walk through him. I kicked the hinges off the door and I ran through him. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. And, um, in 1979, North American, or not 1979, 1996, North American Whitetail um, gave me an opportunity to publish my first article. And the 25th anniversary of that article will be this coming August. So, uh, you know, I've been writing magazine articles for 25 years. And then I started uh, Real World Wildlife Products, uh, a seed company. It started out as a seed company, and it's it's kind of evolved into uh, oh, whitetail nutrition products and, and other habitat uh, you know products. So when you first got into the uh, to the whitetail you know uh, management piece of it, and you started traveling around the country, what's one thing that stuck out to you as you traveled from state to state or dealt with you know different farms what's the one thing that kind of resonated through every everyone out there as a common theme i know there's got to be something that's kind of stuck with that well i I meet the greatest people it's the people i say i've said it many times that the best thing that deer hunting ever did for me was the people that it brought into my life um most of my friends today um we met through deer hunting or deer hunting was that common bond that brought us together. And it's those relationships that mean more to me than any buck I'll ever shoot. Well, and I think that's something a little different with the podcast that we do here than a lot of people get when they listen to podcasts, they expect to tune it on and they hear about, you know, what worked for you in the season. And we go through some of that stuff and what products we use and so on and so forth. And, you know, we're just not a big proponent of pushing products on people that we don't believe in ourselves. We've actually, you know, talked about it in the beginning. We wanted to make something that we could discuss with people and, like you said, meet new people. And we've already been able to build relationships with folks from all over the country in a way that we never would have before through hunting, but also through this podcast. And so that's that's good to hear you say because that's something we really enjoy. So as you went into this uh, this current season – What's one thing that's kind of went went with it all? Uh, I know you've traveled around the Midwest and you've been doing a lot of land conservation. You've got any uh, got any surprises that you found thus far this year? Well, not really. I mean, I'm always uh, you know every day is a new adventure. Um, today, I did a consulting visit for a gentleman in Pennsylvania. Uh, then I drove to New Jersey. I'm actually speaking to you from a motel room in New Jersey where I'm going to look at two properties the next two days. And then I'm headed uh, back towards home in Illinois, but I'm going to stop uh, and look at at least uh, at least four more properties in Ohio before I make it home. So, uh, you know, every day is a new adventure for me. And uh, there's no two properties alike, no two landowners alike. 
and you know, I'm just I'm living the dream. Hey Don, what's what's most people when they're when you're consulting on these land projects? What's most people asking your advice about? Is it like bedding areas or where to put food plots or what goes into that? Well, they're just looking to take their property to the ultimate level or make it the best it can possibly be for for big deer. And uh, you know, I, I tell them all that the the first step is we got to get those bucks bedding on on that property. If you're not hunting on the same property where those bucks are bedding, your odds of killing them are about 10% of what they are. You do hunt on the property where they bed. So uh, we, we start out, out looking to create a bedding sanctuary to get those bucks bedding on a property. And, and that goes for every property I look at, whether it's in Kansas or New Jersey. It doesn't really matter. That that's a common theme. And then once we get them bedded there, then we got to feed them. And when a buck stands up, from his bed in the afternoon we want his first stop to be in our food plot not headed towards the neighbors we got to keep him on our property as many daylight hours as possible so uh that's kind of it in a nutshell so i i try to lay it out in such a way that when that buck does get up and move it's a uh in, in a pattern that makes him killable for the hunter is your is your region based mainly based around the midwest and and up in the northeast don yeah, it primarily is. I've avoided uh, the southeast, although I've gotten several opportunities or invitations to consult on properties down that way. But, uh, you know, I feel the whitetail is a very adaptive animal. It, it, he adapts to a, a wide range of uh, terrain and climates. And, you know, he, he'll live, you know, in, in Canada or down in Mexico. And all points in between, and I just don't feel that, you know, my expertise is really in the Midwest, and I actually avoided the Northeast for quite a while, and then a few years ago, my daughter moved out to Connecticut. She was uh, working as an emergency room nurse at Yale University Medical Center, and we moved her out out there to Connecticut. And as we was out there, I, I was, you know, I'm always checking out the deer cover as we're driving down the road. And I noticed that the terrain in the Northeast wasn't a whole lot different than it is in the Midwest. And I thought, shoot, you know, the tactics I'm applying in the Midwest would surely work out here. So over the past couple of years, I've really expanded my range and, and moved east and a little bit northeast of where I typically was working before. So you're, you know, with your expansion and everything, is have you noticed the same people in the same areas? If you go to, you know, Illinois or if you're in Ohio or you're in New Jersey now, is the common theme between all the hunters the same? It's just they're wanting to get out there just like we are and, and kill bigger deer? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the goals are the same. Uh, maybe the size of the bucks they're after is different, you know, a, a guy in Iowa, he may be trying to kill 200-inch deer, where a guy in Pennsylvania, he's trying to kill 130, 140-inch deer. But uh, they're just trying to kill the biggest bucks that live in the areas where their property is. Yeah, that's good to hear. And and kind of what we've seen when we've traveled through the Midwest from down here in Georgia, we run into people all the time, and it's it's pretty much the common theme. You want to kill the most mature buck that you can on the farm that you're on, and that's always something that's you know, seem to speak volumes wherever you go. The people that are chasing and the passion still ignites in us all. It's, and I guess with the with the social media craze that the world is in now and 
people wanting to brag about what they do. Uh, Cody actually brought up something to me earlier that I'd never heard before um, that, that was on your gun safe, I believe. It was an article or, or a saying, and uh, I'm going to let him say that. Yeah, I don't I don't remember, and I don't want to misquote it, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you had read it um, when you were young, I believe, out of one, and you'd cut it out of the uh, you cut the article out and put it on the front of the gun safe so that you would see it and be re- reminded of it. And you probably know the quote. Um, oh yeah, by, by <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. So take me through um, that, Don. What was that quote? Well, you know, I was probably only in about the eighth grade, and uh, my grandfather was an outdoorsman, and you know, he got all the the outdoor magazines of that day: Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, Fur Fish Game. And I don't remember which one of those magazines it was in, but there was a little quote and it said, as hunters, we should be remembered more by, no, as hunters, we should be judged more by what we choose not to shoot than what, by what we do shoot. And that just struck me even as a kid. And I grabbed the scissors and I cut that, that little quote off of the, or out of the magazine and I taped it to the front of our gun cabinet at home. Uh, where it remained for years, and uh, that was kind of, you know, the foundation for um, my mindset even to this day. Um, you know, anybody would shoot a 200-inch buck if it walked up on them, but how many people are going to let it go? I know, uh, I know, I know I one fellow. I know one guy. Would. Yeah, because <laughs> I've heard tell of a story. Uh, it, it goes even beyond that, you know. Like, uh, yeah. He, you see these guys that have shot, you know, a real rare deer, say a piebald deer, or a albino deer. Um, personally, if I was out in the woods and an albino or, or a piebald deer came by me, I would not shoot it. Um, and, and that's just me. I'm not looking down on somebody that, that decides to shoot it. But, you know, that, that's a pretty rare animal, and, and uh, I, I just don't see why I would want to shoot it. And rob the joy of someone else seeing that animal. So yeah, and like you said, yeah, you're almost taken away from the opportunity and of someone. You can look at a deer, a pieball, or an albino mounted in a full body form, but it doesn't have that awe and and you know breathtaking factor about it as you do when you're in the woods and see it walking by. Right. As an eight year old boy going back to reading that, pulling that article out, Don, is that what kind of what inspired you to start writing? to start your writing career? You know, I, I wanted to be an outdoor writer from the time I was a freshman in high school, at least. I, I remember as a freshman in high school, I got uh, all my grandpa's hunting magazines out. and You know, in the front, there's, uh, you know, the details as far as the editorial offices and the address for those and, you know, where to write letters to the editor or whatever. And I remember as a freshman in high school, I wrote letters to the editor of all these magazines to get their writer's guidelines, you know, what what it took to to have articles published in those magazines. So, I mean, it was something that I wanted to do as a kid, even before I was old enough to drive. I wanted to be an outdoor writer. You can you can tell, I mean, that, that kind of goes with anything and people do in their life. You know, they put they put their work towards it just like you have with your farms and stuff like that. And that, that really transpires with people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, you could tell when someone's doing something with a passion or if they're just doing it. You, you got that, um, you got that right. 
So when you, I mean, you even go ahead, Don. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, even professional athletes, there's professional athletes that are doing it because they're being paid to do it, and, and there there's those that would be doing it even if they were doing it for free because it's just their passion. So, what year did you write your first book, Don? I believe it was was it the uh, Real World Whitetail Icons? No, it was uh, the other one, Hunting Trophy Whitetails in the Real World. Okay, I uh, wrote it in two thousand and five. Now, had you, you pretty much used your, I guess, years of experience to write that book in one moment, or had you compiled those notes over a, a number of years when you wrote that first book? No, um, well, this is kind of a long story, but uh, so I, I'd wanted to write a book. I mean, I'd had by that time I'd had articles published for about ten years, and and every article that I'd written. It, they get edited to some degree. Some of it's for grammar, but some of it's for political correctness. You know, I'm just, I'm going to call it like it is. I'm not uh, at all politically correct. Yes, I, I just say the truth. Yes, sir. And, uh, well, so all my articles, they get edited a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I want to I see those before edits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in 2004, I shot my first 200-inch buck. And the day I shot it on an evening hunt, and the next day, a conservation officer showed up at my house. And to make a long story short, I, I was accused by a neighboring landowner of, of uh, trespassing, and which I was not. And DNR actually confiscated that buck from me. And I ended up getting an attorney going to court and getting the buck back. But there were so many rumors going around the local community. And at that time, even, um, you know, social media was just starting, but the email craze was, was going nuts at that time. Instead of people making a Facebook post, they would forward emails to all their buddies and such. Yeah. And so I'd had that buck confiscated and, and, uh, the state had possession of it for 34 days during that 34 days there was just all kinds of rumors going around about, you know, why my buck was confiscated and stories behind it and, and this and that. And once I got it back, I decided I was going to set the record straight by writing a book about the whole experience. And also not just about that buck, that buck, but, uh, you know, kind of a how to article and, or how to chapters and, uh, just a lot of different things, uh, regarding deer hunting and the way I saw things. Yeah. Um, so now, when they took that buck from you, Don, was it was it a deflating? I'm I'm sure it was deflating. And, and was it? Did you know you would get it back when they took it, or did you have kind of a a fear that you may not? Well, I I actually wasn't sure, uh, and and it, it was pretty devastating, really, because i thought i would never write another article again i thought i was going to be drugged through the mud and my name was going to be destroyed and tarnished and um a good friend of mine right after the buck was confiscated he he went over and paid a visit to the landowner behind the whole ordeal and this guy and him got in a screaming match and the guy told him quote he thinks he's such a big shot writing these magazine articles i'm going to knock him down a notch or two Oh, and I had, and I had no idea this guy even harbored any ill will towards me whatsoever. Um, 
I mean, I knew of the guy. We, we'd never really talked. It's just, you know, someone else in the community that I, I knew who he was. He knew who I was. And I, I didn't have any bad feelings towards him. And I was kind of shocked that he felt that way about me. And, uh, you, you know, I, when I got the buck, well, I, I could give so many different directions with this story. <laughs> I mean, I, I could talk about this story the rest of the whole podcast, but. I kind of, I knew I'd done everything right with that buck. I'd actually, the day I shot that buck was the fourth time I seen that buck from four different tree stands. And, and two of those previous encounters, I had that buck in range and could have shot, but it was unethical shots and I didn't. Um, biggest buck of my life by far had him in range and, and I held off. I just didn't want to take a, an unethical shot. And then finally I get the, the perfect shot and I take it and I kill him. Uh, so I did everything not only legal, but I felt I did everything ethical, too, in the taking of that deer. And then the deer was taken from me, and I almost felt like I was being tested, like God was allowing me to be tested. And, uh, you know, there was my dream to kill a world-class buck, and I'd finally done it. And I finally just had to leave it in his hands and... You know, I decided, you know what, I know I've done everything right to this point. I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to do everything right. And if God intends for me to have that buck, I'll get it back. If not, then I guess I won't. And I walked into that courtroom 34 days later and walked out 10 minutes later with the judge telling him to give my deer back. It had been seized illegally, actually. Um, my attorney uh, compared it to giving someone a speeding ticket and taking their car away from them. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, even if I had been guilty, there was nothing in the state laws that gave them the right to seize that deer. Um, so it, it was a dirty deal, but you know what? I, I gained more notoriety and attention from that buck than I ever would have if it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, you, and but, you, that. but you didn't carry through it, you know, in today's world, and you know it because you're out there on the on the Facebooks and the Twitters, and you see all the stuff that people post and share. In a moment of today, you're right. Your name would have been drugged through the mud, but when it cleared, it's almost like people uh, they all they serve their judge and jury immediately without any recourse of their actions. And that's almost where I was going with wanting you to talk about that was how sad it is as hunters the jealousy that it's been portrayed in in our in our sport and we're need folks like you are doing a better job of changing that concept and we're trying to do a better job of changing that concept and taking that jealousy out of it and just being happy for folks again well and i don't think it's just hunting i think it's today's society absolutely um, people just hate success and and you know i've had it described to me a couple different ways as you're climbing that mountain towards success everybody's cheering for you but once you get on top then they everybody wants to knock you off and uh, a friend of mine used a perfect example he said when michael jordan was trying to win his first championship the entire basketball world was pulling for michael to, to win that first championship but by the time he won his sixth everybody in the world everybody in the basketball world hated him and wanted him to lose yeah. And uh, it's like that with a lot of things in life. There's, I mean, I could name all kinds of examples of people are pulling for you as you're climbing, but once you get on the top, everybody wants to knock you off. Yeah. 
And it's it and it's almost the people that that find that success at the top and how they handle it. Just like with you, you know, you said you put it all in, in the Lord's hands to to get that buck back, whether you did or whether you didn't. You were willing to accept that fate because it was in God's hands, and I think that's something that a lot of folks need to take, you know, and put into their lives a little more because if they'd do that a little bit more, they'd get a lot better off at the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's too much jealousy in the world nowadays with, you know, like you said, killing a deer, you know, you don't have, you know, I don't know what you have personally, but if you don't have 1,000, 2,000 acres, you can't manage a deer, so you may be hunting the same deer as that person next to you. So there's so much jealousy out there. They want you to do good. They'll tell you good luck on the way to the stand, but as soon as you go out there and kill that deer, (laughs) they're not too happy. So That's for sure. Uh, big deer have ruined a lot of friendships and uh, it's a sad thing but it's true so i got to go back a little bit don to when you when you first got into your writing and stuff and you were reading some of those stories i want to know who was one of those big icons for you back then in in the hunting industry that really you know kind of drove you and and fueled your passion that may have been a writer or even a, a professional hunter at that time well, there's two guys that really had a big impact on me, and one was Alan Foster. Alan Foster was, uh, I, I, him and I worked at the same place for 20 years, and I started there right out of high school as an 18-year-old kid, and he's 10 years older than me, but he was doing what I dreamed of doing. He was shooting really good bucks on a consistent basis, and he was my mentor, and he saved me at least 10 years on the learning curve. Uh, just meeting him and then uh, Gene Wenzel um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him but he's one of the guys that started the whole modern day whitetail movement um, he's written several books uh, he, he was doing seminars before seminars were even heard of um, him and his brother Barry twin brother Barry produced October Whitetails one of the first uh, hunting videos ever produced um, but Gene Wenzel was one of those guys that you know right was right and wrong was wrong and he wasn't gonna bend his ethics uh for a dollar yeah and i've 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 heard some uh some talks around the industry that have kind of you know we're we're young in this whole podcast thing and and whether or not we ever make it is as a prominent voice in the outdoor industry time will tell on that and if we don't we're we're more than happy with that but that's something that nick and i discussed very early on that we weren't just going to jump on board with anything and everything out there just because they were willing to throw something at us we were just going to do it because we you know enjoyed it it was our passion not not just to, to hunt animals but to talk about it with other people and learn what their root you know what their root of their passion was and where they got it from and what fueled that fire for them. We've, all, we've only done, this will be, this will be number 25, Alex, and we've already inspired so many people <laughs> and myself to do other things and get outside our comfort zone. And this, this is outside of my comfort zone by, by a long shot. So like Don said, you get outside of that and, and, and you put your work into it and you'll, it'll come. So Don, yeah, back sure. to when you was a kid, you know, you, you made, made mention of your grandpa hunting. Was the, was he the first one that really got you into the hunting? You know, I think I was born with it. I think I think you're either born with it or you're not. That that desire just I, I'm not sure that a, one person can instill it in another. Um, but I had the the keen interest in the outdoors, and so did my grandfather. But I, I've met a lot of guys that. Uh, 
that they're the only hunter in their family. And, you know, their father didn't hunt, their grandfather didn't hunt. They're the first one. And then I've met a lot of guys my age who have kids that have no interest in it. Even though the father is a very avid hunter and has been since the child was born, the child just never picked it up. So I almost think that you're either born with that desire or you're not. Yeah, and I'll touch on that. I believe that's why it's so hard to describe the passion to somebody who's not into the outdoors. Even people you try to get into the outdoors, it's really hard to touch on and get them get somebody to understand the passion if you're not, like you said, uh, born with it, just running, you know, coursing through your veins. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes the hunting industry today makes is they try to recruit hunters. You know, you, you hear all this garbage about uh, – we need to recruit more hunters. Hunter numbers are shrinking. Well, you're either born with it or you're not. And hunters are always going to be in the minority. And some of the people that we've recruited, I mean, if you just look at the hunting industry today, we got, you know, young girls showing skin just to be on a pro staff of, of some company or, um, the, the hunting industry is, has really been, I mean, I don't even know what the right word is. Um, prostituted almost yeah absolutely Uh, it's not what it's about anymore makes it about takes away from those old campfire talks you had with grandpa when you're sitting around after supper and learning what he had done the last 40 50 years of whether he's working or anything else and it takes it makes it want to be a popularity contest almost well you know there's even certain words like stewardship is not even being used there's no one in the, the hunting industry lacks for role models and, you know, everybody wants to, to shoot big deer and, and nobody wants to pay the dues to get to that point. Um, you know, nobody wants to start out hunting small game and then work up. They, they don't even want to start shooting small deer and work up to the big ones. They want to start out shooting big deer. Yeah, and that takes you – you saying that, I just, I'm just i sitting here thinking back to, you know, when I was a kid – and how how blessed I was uh, as a benefit to my dad for I didn't get to go deer hunting when I was little I went squirrel hunting we had squirrel dogs we ran yep. squirrels with those squirrel dogs and when I was uh, I was five six year old tracking him around wherever chasing those squirrel dogs and I I didn't kill my first deer until I was thirteen years old and it was a six pointer down here in Georgia and, and I honestly at that time I thought I'd killed the biggest biggest buck in the state. And I, I paid my dues to get to that point, and Dad made sure of that. And every time I talk to somebody with a, a knowledge and passion such as yourself in the, the whitetail hunting, it takes me back to those times when I was a kid and how blessed it was to, to have a father like that to take me out and teach me those those things and carry me through the, the trials and tribulations of getting to able to harvest what would have been my first mounter buck at 22-year-old. I mean, I was I was – older than all my buddies a lot of my buddies had killed big bucks and i hadn't but i was still going because there was still a passion inside of me like you made mention i think it is something that you're born with so i appreciate you making mention of that and just makes me want to do better for the for the youth coming up um i see a lot of guys that just drag their kids out and throw them in a blind in front of a bait pile and and let them shoot a deer and they don't or they take them to a to a paid hunt somewhere or or a a deer farm or whatever it may be, and they let them kill a deer that they're never going to see again. They'll probably never have that opportunity, but they didn't work for it. And I don't think that passion and fire will ever be, you know, inside of them like it is someone that's came up from the bottom. 
Yeah, and in my opinion, a lot of guys are taking their kids hunting way too young. There's no sense in a six-year-old kid shooting a deer. That kid has no idea what he's what he's done. He he, he doesn't understand what taking a life means. And uh, now there's nothing wrong with taking a six-year-old to the woods, but you know what have you taught them when you you stick them up in an elevated blind over a pile of bait and a deer walks out and you got to help the kid hold the gun and you got to give him instructions on how to aim as that deer's out there. I mean, that kid's not ready for that. If I I didn't have sons, I have two daughters, but you know, if I had a son that, that was wanting to hunt, I sure I would have drug him to the woods from the time he was old enough to crawl. But he wouldn't have been shooting deer when he was six years old. Up in the Midwest, Don, where you're at, do you, when you talk to folks from from other states, and I, and I know you've got an outreaching hand that that touches anyone out there in the southeast, and you know the dreams of of chasing Midwest whitetails was something I never would have thought that I'd been able to do when I was growing up hunting in Georgia. Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, wherever it may be in the Midwest, that was a that was a foreign land to me at that time. And when I was fortunate enough to be able to go to those states, I had a, I don't want to say a better appreciation for what I was blessed with than, than some of those that may have been born there. But have you seen guys coming from out of state treat the land with, with the same amount of respect that you would, or is it almost like they're treating it differently? And I ask this very specifically because I want to know what a what a guy that spends most of his life in the Midwest thinks of those guys coming from out of state. And be as be as honest and harsh as you want to be about that because I want to know the <laughs> truth on it. Well, to be 100% honest, I, I'd rather have a non-resident as a, as a neighbor than a resident. If a guy is serious enough to drive that far and pay that much for a license and work that hard to get permission or to lease or to buy ground, that's the kind of guy that I want next to me. It's the locals that, that are shooting deer from the road that are having gang bangs, also known as deer drives, and one unethical thing after another. Now, that's not saying that no non-residents ever broke a game law, but you know, by and large, you know, a, a lot of my clients are actually people that have moved from southern states to, to the Midwest. And only for the idea of chasing deer, not just from southern states. I mean, there's a lot of guys that like move from Michigan, for example, to Iowa uh, just to chase big deer. And you got to admire that, uh, you know, to leave your roots uh, just for the passion of chasing big deer. I admire it myself. And like I said, I'd rather have someone like that as my neighbor than, you know, the, the local that sees the deer as nothing but a living target. Yeah, we know coming from Georgia that – the Midwest, you know, offers better hunting, more deer, bigger deer. And, and I think sometimes just in the conversations we have with folks from the Midwest that, that have never ventured outside of state, maybe to a Southern state or anything like that. And I don't know how much experience you have here, but you know, that you often hear people say, well, why do you come up here to shoot deer? You know, and, and, and why would you shoot a deer that size? And it's like, you know, when Georgia, we don't have that kind of deer. So, I mean, we have big deer, but it's only in certain areas. So, mm-hmm. Is is your primary is your primary hunting state Illinois or, or Iowa? Uh Illinois. Illinois. And and that's yep. and that's is let's let's kinda go into that a little bit, Don, about your hunting career and, and is it and is it mainly bow hunting only? 
yeah, actually, uh, by the time I was in my early 20s, I'd given up gun hunting and all of that. As a kid growing up, I did it all. I, I mean, I hunted, fished, and trapped for every everything there was a season for. I mean, I just loved the outdoors. But when I shot that first buck at 16, it's like I, I just slowly forgot everything else. You know, I'd go fishing and leave my fishing rod there on the bank. I was on a deer scouting mission, and I'd be small game hunting for rabbits or pheasants or whatever, and I ended up be walking around looking for, for deer sign. And, you know, by the time I was in my early 20s, I'd given it all up. And then uh, our, our gun season was so, so short in Illinois, we had three days in November and three days in December. Well, anything that happened during gun season was 100% luck because back then, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry was in the woods running around and there was, you wasn't shooting a deer because you figured him out. It was just luck if you shot one and that's not how I wanted to kill him. I wanted to do it on purpose. So, you know, by the time I was in my early twenties, I'd given up gun hunting, even just to focus on bow hunting for, for deer. And then I, I just, I've always been a trophy hunter really. And, I just slowly raised the bar, you know, one notch at a time to get to the point where I'm at today. It, is it, I'm sure it took a lot of patience and I was, I keep thinking about this, but I was thinking about you consulting these people's land. And the first thing you said was, you know, do you have bedding area for deer? Is the second question you ask someone that's getting serious about that? What size, what age deer are you shooting? No, I've got a series of questions that I ask every prospective client, uh-huh. and I'm probably the only consultant out there that has turned down numerous clients just because something didn't line up. Um, you know, one of the questions I ask is their goal for the property, and you know, what other uses are, are taking place on that property? Um, what's happening on the neighbor's property as far as hunting pressure? If their goals are totally out of line for that property, I don't want to take their money and then tell them that. Right. I want to address those kind of things right up front before I ever visit the property. And if uh, they're not willing to compromise their goals or maybe change something that's happening on the on the property, then there's no sense in them paying me. And uh, so that's kind of you know how I start. Going back to some of those people that you, you, I know you'd said um, the guys that kind of. Uh, played a crucial role in your your getting you more involved in in the outdoor riding and so on and so forth but i i think i remember seeing in some of your riding before um adam hayes uh-huh. was he part of you know kind of getting you into it or a partner of yours as you've come up through the riding and everything oh no i'm older than adam i mean <laughs> okay i didn't know yeah. i didn't know how what the age difference there was i, I just remember mm-hmm. reading that before no, he, he's a good friend of mine, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't even meet him until I was well involved in the hunting industry. Him and I just happened to be, um, at the same sports show in, in booths close to each other uh, a few years back. And that's when we met and became friends and uh, the rest is history. But we were both well established before we ever met. Gotcha. Yeah. And Adam's killed. So he's had some, some, pretty dynamic deer uh harvest in his career as as well yeah for sure uh, i mean he, he knows what he's doing there's no doubt about it um i want you to take take me don on a on a little journey that might i guess it'll kind of enlighten some of the listeners out there to some of your riding 
take me on a on one of your stories. Just just tell me one of your stories that sticks out in your mind, and you can kind of you know ad lib it or wherever it may be, and and not tell the whole story. But what's one of the favorite favorite articles you've ever posted as far as the stories out there? I mean, there's there's countless ones that we could talk about tonight, and we don't we don't have that much time. So just uh, just give me one of them that kind of sticks out in your mind. Well, one of the favorites I ever wrote was back in 2003. Uh, I wrote an article titled Same Time, Same Place. And I had, I had discovered the, the tendency of bucks to be at the same place at the same time every, year after year. So if a buck's, if you see a buck on your property, say the third week in October this year, if he's still alive, he's going to be there the third week of October next year. And it's become pretty common knowledge. There's been all kinds of articles and, and videos and such made about that. But when I wrote about that in 2003, nobody had talked about it. It, it was like that was a light bulb moment for me, and, and I threw it out there. And, uh, you know, nobody had heard that before. And today it's common knowledge. And that common knowledge started with an article I wrote in 2003. So that so that's one that I'm really proud of. Um, now, as far as what uh what magazines you've written for, you've wrote for Deer and Deer Hunting, correct? Yep. Uh, I've actually written for just about every one of them. That's, that's what point. I was going to go with. So, which one was your favorite to write articles for? Where did you get the most, you know, uh, I, I guess gratification getting you getting published in there? Um, you know, I really that first article on North American Whitetail was a big deal to me. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, I wouldn't say that I have a favorite really. It's just that, you know, after a while I, I became established and then I started having editors of magazines I'd never wrote for had recognized my work and, and reached out and asked me if I would write for them. And, you know, that was pretty gratifying. How much Don has the writing change nowadays now that there's multiple podcasts out there and i believe you have a popular podcast also how much has that changed and if you want to talk about that podcast by by all means go ahead well thank you i appreciate the opportunity i I do have a a podcast called chasing giants um you, you know the the whole magazine industry is kind of a dying thing um the internet's kind of replaced uh print material magazines newspapers whatever and you know it's a i don't think they'll ever go away completely but i I just can't see print media expanding from where it's at today do you think you share the same stuff on your podcast that you may write in a in a magazine oh yeah yeah i figured you did yep Mm mm-hmm is it put forth with the same passion, though, Don? I think's where Nick was getting at, at with that. I mean, I, I know you're a passionate guy in in the hunting. You know, anything you do, I don't just I don't want to just pinpoint it down to hunting. But do you do you get as much you know passion out of putting it down in words when you're speaking? Because I, I I find it so hard. You you can talk and tell stories, but it's almost like you're when you tell a story, you don't get to put yourself into that position as a as a listener as you do a reader in my opinion yeah i mean i enjoy writing probably 
I mean, it fits my personality better. I'm just not, a, <laughs> I mean, I had to really work to be a public speaker. And if you really knew me, I'm a pretty quiet guy. I mean, my convictions run deep. When I do open my mouth, I'm saying what I feel in my heart. Yes, sir. And um, you can tell when you speak in anything you do that that's the truth. <laughs> Well, I do the same with my writing, and that's why they, most of my articles get edited. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just speak the truth, and some people don't want to hear it. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know how much the the speaking thing really affects the writing. Um, boy, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I and I when I say that, I guess it's coming from someone that grew up. 30 years ago, or, or let's say 25 years ago, learning to read. We didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have those outlets. And so when you were sitting at home uh, after school or in class when I was supposed to have been studying math and I was reading a, a book, it, it kind of, I was able to put myself in a deer stand in Illinois on October the 28th on a frosty morning watching, you know, deer walk around. And when I when I read or I see a video, I don't get that same placement of my I guess of myself. I don't get to imagine that moment because it's it is a visual moment. It's not able I'm not able to to you know say hey that's me sitting in that tree because it's not me sitting it when I'm seeing it with my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100. Uh, percent There's something about I, I like to read as much as I do. I mean, I don't even hardly watch videos to be honest. Um, I mean, I watch my own just for, to, to make sure that, uh, it's portraying what I want to portray before it's ever released, but to watch other people's videos, I just don't do it. I mean, it would, somebody would have to almost shoot a world record buck for me to watch it. And that's not an insult or a, a slam to anyone. It's just not my thing. Yeah, and I and I think that's one reason that I I enjoy watching you know the videos that you have put out because you can just tell your humble approach and the way you explain and and yes it's a video and you're getting to visualize it but you know there's a lot of cutaways of you you know talking and and really describing you know the the thoughts and and you know all, everything that went into the planning and and the history of the deer that you're hunting and it's not just you know an intro you in a deer stand shooting a deer and then an outro with you, you know, holding it up and let's measure it kind of thing. Yeah. I think the videos have made the kill too important and they've taken away from the journey that, that takes you to that kill. And, and I've tried to downplay the kill in my videos. In fact, if, if you got to see, uh, well, the video of Joey, the second buck I shot this year, I did. I mean, I don't even have a kill shot. I, no, I don't even no. have footage of that deer. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was a the video uh, producer Steve Shields, a good friend of mine. I thought he did a fantastic job with that video because there was absolutely zero footage of that buck, and yet the story was told in a just a fantastic way. And you know, the kill was never the the I, I don't know the defining moment of the video. It was the story of that buck and the pursuit of that buck. And the same way with Mel, you know, yeah, the shot was captured on video, but it was really telling the life story of not only the buck, but, uh, 
you know, just what shooting a big buck means to me. It's, you know, once you do it, it's, it's really the hunt's over and it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. You, you've accomplished what you set out to do, but now what? Now you got to go find another buck to chase. That the buck you just shot, he's never going to be on your trail camera again. Uh, you're never going to sit in a tree stand hoping he comes by. It's over. Yeah, and we and we were talking about your videos, um, you know, before this, and I and I had explained that literally my my son and my son and I had sat and watched you know a bunch of your videos in the past and um, the ones from you know this year um, that were put out, and I told them that your videos are almost you know, like captivating just to sit there and listen to you talk. And it wasn't, it wasn't even about the hunt. And, you know, a lot of the hunting shows that are out now, you just, you want to get to the end because you're just ready to kind of see the, you know, the, the fruits of the labor or whatever you want to, you know, want to say. But to listen to you sit there and, and talk, it's almost captivating. I mean, I remember watching the entire episode and me and my son not saying a single word to each other, just listening and watching. So it's, it's really, it's really inspiring because there's like you said, there's not anything like that out there now. So it's, it's good to kind of be brought back to the roots. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying so that that's the whole intention. I mean, I don't, I don't set out to be anyone's hero. I just, uh, try to stay grounded and, and, uh, you, you know, get people to see what's really important. That time you spend with family and friends is way more important than, than that buck you're chasing. And I, I don't know if you guys ever seen the video where I was, uh, I was giving a seminar at a church in Illinois and it was recorded. And, uh, you know, the message, yeah, you know, I've got all these big bucks on my wall, but you know, there's a lot of things that are way more important to me than them deer. And when you think about it, you shoot a giant buck, that, that buck means more to you than it does anybody else on the planet. And as time goes by, that, that euphoria or that feeling, uh, you know, you feel after you shot that deer, it fades over time. But there's things that are way more important than that. And I just try to get deer hunters to, to, re- to recognize that and, and uh, you know, appreciate it. Don, you, you've, killed a, you've killed some beautiful deer, big deer, and I know you don't, you're not the type of man to – want to be talked about like that but would would you mind to share some of those stories of some of those big deer and how many deer do you have over 200 inches if you don't mind uh, i've got three over 200 um and but, it, what what is this what is the span of these three over 200 i mean as far as when i shot them or? yeah from year to, to present well i shot the first one in 2004 it was the one I was talking about earlier that was taken from me for 34 days. Okay. Um, and, and then I shot, uh, one in 2017 and then another one this past season, 2020. That's a, that's a pretty big break. And, I, and I'm sure you've passed a lot of deer along the way and seen a lot of deer. And you probably had some deer that you might've had that you had on your hit list that got taken by neighboring property. I'm sure of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hunting the real world. I mean, I, I my farm's only 120 acres, so that does make it tough. You know, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, my five biggest bucks, only two of them were shot on my farm. The other three were shot just by knocking on doors for permission, and I didn't pay a, a dime for a lease. Uh, there was no food plots on the property or any habitat work. 
it was just me knocking on doors for permission. They say, yeah. And so I go and I, I kill those deer. The other thing that's really interesting is this past season was my 43rd year of hunting. And, and, uh, yet in 43 years, four of my top five bucks have been killed in the last four seasons. Wow. So I, I feel like I've, I've really put things together in the last few years. And, uh, not that I'm still not learning. I'm telling you, every every time I head to the woods, I'm trying to learn more. And I just try to remain a student. I don't, I don't ever think I'm an expert. I just try to remain a student and be better tomorrow than I was today. We've all, we've often brought this up on the podcast. It's also it's very nice to get permission from somebody, and that's almost better than than killing the buck that you're after, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yep. So Don, you said something just a moment ago that kind of kind of stuck out in my mind where you you want deer hunters to to enjoy the journey to get to the deer and cuz once it's it's over with it's it's really gone. I mean, the chase is over for that deer, but I've I've often said something in, in a lot of conversations when people ask me about the deer that I have on the wall or or things of that nature and it's something we've talked about a lot on here and we always close out our show with um the the saying but it's called mount the memories and mm-hmm. you know it doesn't matter if it's a 200 inch deer or if it's a you know 60 inch buck that you took with you know uh, on the last place that you may have been with a farm or whatever it may be or a picture or or whatever it is we always try to you know make sure people remember to mount those memories because there's going to come a time in all of our lives where we, we pass on and, and, you know, we're no longer able to chase deer or, or chase a passion, whatever it may be. And those memories is what we have to hold on to for, for what we leave behind and those stories that we leave behind. And with a legacy as, as long with standing in the stories that you've been able to tell, um, it, it, it gives me and anyone out there that's listened to you a, a better understanding of why we need to slow down and, one of our previous hosts, he, he really hit it on the head. Um, he said, uh, don't just take a sip, take a drink. Of wherever mm-hmm. you are, make sure you're getting everything you can out of it. And that just, it always it always stick, sticks with me to, that we need to remember to mount those memories and, and stay, in, stay in tune with what we're really doing. And for most of everybody out there that's an outdoorsman or a hunter that's in it for the right reasons, we all find a better understanding of being with, with God and, and a better, closer relationship with him when we're out there. And that's something we've talked about a lot on here in, in the journey as we go because um, we, we, you know, we, we want to continue to, to mount those memories. Well, and, you know, I don't want to be remembered for the big deer I shot. Um, I want to be remembered for, you know, what I did with the opportunities I was given. You know, we're all blessed in different ways. If if you just, if you woke up in a warm bed this morning, you was blessed. Yes, sir. And uh, I hear all the time people talking about their blessings. Yeah, I don't care about your blessings. I want to know what you did with your blessings. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed to shoot all these big deer, but what did I do with it? That's what I want to be remembered for. I, I used the opportunity and the platform I was given to hopefully save some souls, introduce people to Jesus. And that I would much rather be remembered for that than for shooting big deer. So it's not about the blessing. It's what you do with the blessing. 
think we wow. just got the I think we just got the title of that episode. This episode right there. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Don, we always kind of ask these questions towards the end of the show as we're trying to wrap up here. Um, what's the biggest, uh, you, you might've already kind of answered this, maybe kind of answered again, but what's a, what's a good piece of advice you would give somebody that's looking to get into the outdoors or hunting, deer hunting, anything, um, youngster or adult? Well, follow your passion and don't get hung up in the, um, you got to shoot the biggest one. Don't, don't compare, you know, the buck you shoot or the fish you catch to what somebody else has done. Um, you know, it's basically a a relationship between you and mother nature. Um, no two are alike. Don't get hung up on what other people are doing and and what their goals are. Have fun with it. That's right. That's, that's kind of been a common answer. What else? Um, last question from myself, um, what do you think? What are you most thankful for, Don? Well, here on Earth, probably my family uh, and friends, the people. It's all about people, right. and I think that's what gets lost in the hunting industry. Sometimes it's all about people, and I, I say it all the time. The best thing hunting ever did for me was the people it brought into my life. Um, but here on Earth, you know, the thing I'm most thankful for is my family and friends. Um, but I'm thankful for the salvation too that that Jesus offers to all of us. Amen. That's a that's a perfect answer. Right? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, is. it is. It absolutely yeah. is. And that, and that, that's I mean that's kind of the path that we we kind of go on, Don. And and when we talked about this and we you know we we kind of strive for that you know and that's what we want. And I think as long as we keep that in this podcast, it'll it'll continue to grow and. And like like Alex said before, we're not looking for anything out of this, but touch someone. So, and and with with someone like you coming on, and this platform for us to share, it has been an honor to talk to you and for you to come on and share those stories that you have. So, well, I sure appreciate you guys having me, and, and you guys are doing fantastic. And you know, I can just tell you when we started chasing giants a little over a year ago, probably a year and a half ago, um, we had no idea. Um, how popular is going to be if we'd even be doing it a year later. But, uh, you know, God just continues to open doors. And I, there's no doubt he knows our heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, he's going to open the doors. He's going to use you. I believe in that 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and like Alex said in the beginning, um, you know, obviously you're very you're very busy and you didn't have to take time out of your your evening to come on and talk with us, but I, I much appreciate it. You're a, you're definite inspiration to me, and I know to a lot of people that have read your stuff and and watch your stuff and and listen to your podcast as well. So I just want to appreciate you for taking the time to come on this evening with us. Well, like I said, it's been my pleasure. I'll come back if you want to have me sometime. Yeah, and as the boys said, Don, um, it, it was. It was almost, uh, I'll, I'll tell you and just be as frank and honest as I can be. I've thought about this episode since that evening. You called me when, uh, Mr. Ray and, and hats off to him and, uh, Chandler at Southeast wildlife innovations for really opening the door for me to, to get to speak with you on a personal level that evening at my, at my building. I went back in the house and I told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe who I just got off the phone with. And she said, who? And I told her, and I went through it, and she's like, I hadn't seen you this excited since the kids were born. She said, "That's like, she said you're pumped up about this. And I was just, I was. And it was, it was something I was definitely looking forward to. And you gave me exactly what I wanted you to bring to us tonight is that 
we could sit here and tell stories about all the deer we've killed till the day is long you can sit here and tell me about how to kill deer in the midwest and what tactics you can use and anybody can get that from anything that they read or watch your videos but what i wanted more than anything else was for people to see and hear from the man himself what don higgins was thankful for and where his appreciation comes from because i really don't think people people will uh will get that in any other show and that's what we try to do we strive for that and we strive to find that in everybody because if one person listens to this podcast and they'll get down on their knees and offer up their devotion to God and give their soul to him, we've done our part as stewards for God on this side. And that's, that's awful reassuring for, for me and, uh, for anybody out there that's, that's not found salvation. I, I pray that they do because it will give you a better life and a better understanding of what you, what you're here for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm just, it just amazes me that, that anybody would get excited about talking to me because <laughs> I'm just a simple country boy. I'm telling you, I'm no different than the guy that lives down the road and and drives a 20 year old pickup and lives in a you know, hundred year old house. And uh, I'm just a simple country boy, no better than anybody else. I just it, it just blows me away that anybody would think anything different. Well, it's, and it's I- very humbling to us to have someone like yourself, Don, and a couple other you know, all the guests that we've had, but a couple other ones that stick out in the spotlight that you, you know, spotlight our eyes, you know, and I'm, and I'm not trying to boast you up again, but you know, that that's big to us. And, and for you to come on like that, to take your time, people just don't realize, I mean, we, this is what we enjoy to do. And like you said, you can sit here and talk white tails all night. So. Mm-hmm. Well, God's going to open doors for you guys. So just keep plugging away. And I remember when I was your age, and I mean, I was 36 when, I, no, I was 33 when I wrote my first article and had it published in North American Whitetail. And I mean, I was just on top of the world and I had no idea where it was going to lead. And, uh, you know, at that time I couldn't have stood in front of three people and talked, <laughs> let alone 300 or more. And, uh, God has just worked on me in ways that's unbelievable. And he's going to do the same for you guys. Well, Don, as I said at the beginning of the show, we sure appreciate you taking your time out to come on and speak with us. Um, I, I hope that we can get you back on in a future episode, and maybe we can get into some of those tactics as the year goes along. But I, I got to ask for these boys sitting here with me now. It's springtime. Are you chasing any turkeys? Yeah, I've never been turkey hunting in my life. Lord of mercy, hey, somebody I got a common bond with. I'll pump everybody's <laughs> brakes on that one. <laughs> I yeah. ain't a turkey hunter, I, and that's one thing I had to ask because that's all we've talked for the last three weeks is turkey hunting with them, and I hadn't had much to say. So, whew, you, yeah. you made my night right there. <laughs> no, that just don't cut it for me. It's all whitetails, and uh, I've got nothing against turkey hunters. I'm good for them. I hope they all are successful, but it just ha- I have no interest in it. Well, Nick's over here thanking the Lord that you ain't turkey hunting while you kill him big deer. Everybody won't be a turkey safe. Oh, me. Well, as I said, Don, we sure appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Um, I I hope I'll I'll have to kind of ping you on this and uh, after we get done in the next next couple weeks and uh, and when it drops and see what you think about it. But as as we said all along, we can't thank you enough for coming on, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to hopefully speaking with you in the future. I'll be glad to come on anytime, guys. Thanks for having me, and God bless.
God bless you, Mr. Don Higgins. Everybody go over and follow uh, Chasing Giants if you can, and uh, you, you, you can find all the information on any tactic you need on that episode or on that podcast as well. So we appreciate you coming on, Don, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, I think Don Higgins, <laughs> I think he had already cashed out on us there, but that's fine. Hey. Busy man. Busy man, and uh, but a humble man. You know, he definitely brought to the table exactly what, you know, we've talked about all along. His his views and his opinions on hunting, uh, they may differ than some of the people that out there listen to this. They differ from mine in a lot of respects. I mean, I'm not going to say that, that he and I are probably uh, going to agree on everything we do, but nobody is. the good thing about it is – we can agree on one thing and, and the most important thing, and that's what it always carries through. And I think that's been a common common denominator in everything that we've done with this podcast is, is you know, being thankful to God for what we're blessed with and, uh, you know, hey, not afraid to talk about it. Oh, Don Higgins ain't afraid to talk no, about it no, for sure. No, he is not. No, sir. So, um, you know, I appreciate you letting us come over again tonight nick and uh welcome us into the wilson studio it's been a fun night it's been uh exactly what yeah, i wanted it i got to be. your own key now <laughs> uh, well i know well I, I i lost mine if, he, if, I'm, if i'm being honest Good here <laughs> he did say he did say rent was due though so. yeah i know that mortgage payment's getting high <laughs> higher by the minute they interest on that yes <laughs> more than enough well, what else you got, Nick? Anything you want to close the close the week out? We're gonna be gonna be taking a, a couple of days off and away for for things. So um, definitely uh, definitely some well needed rest that uh, that we're gonna enjoy and spend some time with some close friends and family. Uh, what else you got before we close it out? I would just say, I mean, just enjoy this episode. You know, hope everyone does enjoy it. And if everything's not right with the Lord get right <laughs> you better because time because ticking. he's going to open up doors just like don said you know and i i don't know where this thing's going to go for us i mean we may sit here we may sit here for six more months and hang it up i don't know but the door but if it touches one person that's all that matters but you know i don't think he was necessarily talking about the doors to the podcast or anything no no no, no i don't think so but i'm just talking for, for us yeah yeah absolutely and and i hope it does open up other doors and avenues for us to do other things and i think it will i no no I'm going to take that think thing and I'm going to throw it out the window. I know it will because of the drive and passion that we've got to do this stuff. I honestly believe it in my heart that we're doing a good thing. And when I listen back to these episodes, we listen to them. We go through and when it's over, with, we call each other and we're talking about, you know, what we did good or what we did bad. And, you know, we're changing some things up as we go. And and there's going to be a lot of changes coming down the pipeline. You know, 25 episodes. We started November 20th, 2020. That was our first episode. We 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 recorded the intro. It's almost at five hundred downloads. We had four thousand downloads to this podcast, and we don't necessarily consider that streams, but we hit four thousand downloads from our host site this week. There's one thing we ain't pumping the brakes on. That's, That's right. Podcast. That's right. And we're going to keep right. pumping them out. We're going to keep climbing with but it. But you know, so. he's a, he's probably I don't know what the fourth person to come on and say. Don't let opportunity pass you by. Yep, I thought of that. If if if, if there's something, well, I, I don't care if I'm not talking hunting related. If there's something that you need to do, do it. Get to if do you, it. If you need a new if you need a new job, if you need to go on a trip, vacation, I don't know what it may be. If there's something bothering you that you keep thinking about, you better do something about it. Or it's going to pass. That's right. 
Yep, yep. It definitely is. I, I just I, I'm sitting here in euphoria, <laughs> thinking thinking about the the opportunity to speak with somebody that's hey. been a prominent figure in the in the hunting industry and what they've done. That was a, that was a big one to me. This tonight's the you know as some of the people been on and not taking anything away from anybody we've talked to. Twenty five's been special to me. Yeah, that's a that's a big one for me. So, anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> I think they've heard me enough on this one. So, how about you, Cody? What you got? Anything? No, it was just it was really good, inspiring. Like I told him, I mean that because you watch his videos and just sit there, and you won't look away from the TV. You are engaged. You you want to listen to the man talk, because um, like you said, he ain't afraid to talk about it. Nope, and that's definitely what we're looking. What you for. got, Alex? I'm not. I don't have anything, man. I'm just sitting here. I, he said something that's that's got my brain to spinning on some things that i want to start working on more i want to get back to something that's a passion of mine writing's always been a passion of mine i've kind of let it go by the wayside over the years i've I've stopped with my writing and i've kind of put that by the wayside and it's it's really kind of sparked an interest for me to pick that pen back up and start noting stuff down instead of instead of just typing it out in in, you know statuses or, or quotes or whatever it may be or putting notes down Pick that pen back up and start writing these stories that I know down because I enjoy that, and, and, and I really, really, really feel like we're going to be back to that before it's over with, and that's something that I want to I wanna see carry on through whatever I can do, and I enjoy it, and, and just fuel your passion. Chase what, chase what fuels you. I think that's a good thing. What was that he said about the blessing? I don't remember. I'll have to listen to it I'll back. i listen to it. But that's definitely uh, definitely something that will resonate with anybody that hears this episode. So, Go do something different than you did yesterday. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for tuning in. We want to thank you for listening. It's going to be a few days before we're back in the old studio in podcast land. Y'all don't know what that is, but we'll be dropping this episode real soon. 25 has been very special, and uh, you know we can't thank you enough for tuning in. So. For everybody at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to remind you, smile as you go, and don't forget, whatever you do, mount the memories.